A Monkey's Paw by W. W. Jacobs. Without the night was cold and wet, but in the small poplar of La Baia Villa, the blinds were drawn and the fire burned brightly. Father and son were at chess. The former, who possessed ideas about the game, evolving radical changes, putting his king into such sharp and unnecessary perils, even provoked comment from the white-haired old lady knitting passively by the fire. Hark at the wind, said Mr. White, who had seen a fatal mistake after it was too late, was only delirious of preventing his son from seeing it. I am listening, said the latter, grimly, surveying the board as he stretched out his hand. Check. I should hardly think that he come tonight, said his father, with his hand poised over the board. Mate, replied the son. That's the worst of living so far, bawled Mr. White, with sudden and unlooked for violence. For all the beastly, slushy, out-the-way places to live in. This is the worst pathway, a bog, a rose, a torrent. I don't know what people are thinking about. I suppose because only two houses in the road are let. They think it does not matter. Never mind, dear, said his wife smoothly. Perhaps you win the next one. Mr. White looked up sharply, just in time to intercept a numbing glance between mother and son. The words died away on his lips. He hid a guilty grin in his thin grey beard. There he is, said Miss Herbert White, as the gate banged so loudly and heavy. Footsteps came towards the door. The old man rose with hospitality haste. An open the door was heard, colluding with a new arrival. The new arrival also condoled with himself that Mr. White said, Tut, tut, and coughly gently, as her husband entered the room, followed by a tall, burly man, beady eye, and rascal of visage. Sergeant Major Morris, he said, introducing himself. The Sergeant Major shook hands, and taking the preferred seat by the fire, watched contently while his host got out whiskey and tumblers and stood a little copper kettle on the fire. As the third glass of his eye got brighter, he began to talk, a little family circle regarding with eager interest his visitor from distant paths. He squared his broad shoulders in a chair and spoke, of wild scenes and doughty deeds, of war and plagues and strange peoples. Twenty-one years of it, said Mr. White, nodding at his wife and son. When he went away, he was a slip of a youth in a warehouse. Now look at him. He don't, we don't look to have taken much harm, said Mrs. White politely. I like to go to India myself, said the old man, just to look around a bit, you know. Better you where you are, said Major Sergeant Major, shaking his head. He put down the empty glass and silently, softly shook it again. I should not like to see those 
I should like to see those old temples and fakars and jugglers," said the old man. "What was, what was that bad you started telling me the other day about a monkey's paw or something, Morris?" "Nothing," said the soldier hastily. "This way is nothing worth mentioning." "Monkey paw," said Mrs. White curiously. "Well, it's just a bit of what you might call magic, perhaps," said the sergeant major off adly. His three listeners leaned forward eagerly. The visitor absent-mindedly put his empty glass to his lips, then set it down again. His host filled it for him. To look at, said the sergeant major, fumbling his pocket, it's just an ordinary little paw, dried to a mummy. He took something out of his pocket and pre-offered it. Mrs. White drew back with a grimace, her son, taking it, exclaimed, examined it curiously. And what is there special about it? inquired Mr. White, as he took it from his son and began examining, having examined it, placed it upon the table. It had a spell put in it by an old fakar, said Sergeant Major, a very holy man. He wanted to show that fate all men's lives and that. Those who were defeated of it did so at their sorrow. He put a spell on it that three separate men should each have three wishes from it. His manner was so impressive that these hearers were conscious that their light laugh jarred somewhat. Well, why don't you have three, sir? said Herbert White cleverly. The soldier regarded him in a way that the middle age is wont to regard presumptuously youth. I have, he said quietly. His botchy face whitened. And did you really have three wishes granted? asked Mr. White. I did, said the sergeant major, and, he, and his glass tapped against his strong teeth. And was anybody else wished? persisted the old lady. The first man had his three wishes, yes, was reply. I don't know what the first two were, but the third was death. That's how I got the poor. His tones were so grave that a hush fell upon the group. If you had been had your three wishes, it's no good to you now, then, Morris, said the old man at last. What do you keep it for? The soldier shook his head. Fancy, I suppose, he said slowly. I did not have some idea of selling it. I don't think it will. I will. It caused enough mischief already. Besides, people won't buy. They think it's a fairy tale. Some of them are those who think of anything of it to try it first and pay me afterwards if you could have another three wishes said the old man eyeing him eagerly keenly would you have them i don't know said the other i don't know he took the paw dangling it between his forefinger and thumb suddenly it threw upon the fire white with a slight cry stooped down and snatched it up better let it burn said the soldier solemnly if you don't want it morris said the other said the other Give it to me. I won't, said his friend doggedly. I threw it on the fire if you keep it. Don't blame me for what happens. Pitch it on the fire again, like a sensible man. The other shook his head and examined his new position quite closely. How do you do it? he inquired. Hold it up to your right hand. I wish allows, said the sergeant major. But I warn you of the consequences. 
Sounds like an Arabian night, said Mrs. White, as she rose and began to get the supper, set the supper. Don't you think you might wish for four pairs of hands for me? Her husband drew the toes and from his pocket, and all three burst into laughter as the sergeant major, with a look of alarm, his face caught him by the arm. If you must wish, he said gruffly, wish for something sensible. Mr. White dropped it back in his pocket, and placing chairs motioned to his friend to the table. In the business of supper, the gentleman had partly forgotten, and after the three sat listening in a infernal fashion to the second installment of the soldiers' adventures in India. He had a tale about the monkey's paw. He's not more truthful than those he's been telling us, said Hubert, as the door closed behind your guests. The guests. Just in time for him to catch the last train. We shouldn't make much of it. Did you give him anything for it, father? Required Mrs. White. Regarding her husband closely. A trifle, he said, cumberly slightly. He didn't want it, but I made him take it. He pressed me again to throw it away. Lightly, said Herbert, with pretended horror. Why are we going to be rich and famous and happy? Wish to be an emperor, father to be in with. You can't, you cannot be henbecked. He darted around the table, pursued by the middle-aged Mrs. White, armed with an M. M-, M-, M- Masica. Mr. White took the paw from his pocket and eyed it dubiously. I don't know what to wish for. That's a fact, he said. Slowly, it seems to me I got what I want. All I want. His father, smiling, shamelessly at his own credibility, held up the talisman in his face, his son, the sudden voice, somewhat marred by a wink at his mother, sat down at the piano and struck at a few impressive chords. I wish for two hundred pounds, said the man distinctly. A fine crash from the piano greeted the words, and a sudden cry from the old man. His wife and son rose towards him. In mood, he cried, with a glance of disgust, at the object that lay on the floor. As I wished, it twisted my hand like a snake. Well, I don't see the money, said his son. He's been picked up and placed it on the table. I bet I, I bet I shall never shall. It must have been your fancy, father, said his wife, regarding him anxiously. He shook his head. Never mind, though. There's no harm done, but it gave me a shock all the same. They sat down by the side again. Fire again, while the two men finished their pipes. Outside the wind was higher than ever. The old man started nervously. At the sound of a door banging upstairs, a silent, unusual one breath, the pressing settled on all three which lasted until the old couple rose to retire for the night. I expect you to find the cash tied up in a big bag in the middle of your bed, said Herbert, as he bade them good, bade them good night, and something horrible squatting on top of Woodrow, watching you as you pocket your ill-gotten gains. He sat alone in the darkness, gazing at the dying fires, and seeing faces in it, a last face was so horrible and so simian, he gazed at it in amazement. It was that vivid. It, it, it was so vivid that, with a little uneasy laugh, he felt on the table a glass containing a little water to throw over it. His hand grasped the monkey's bowl, and with a little shiver, he wiped his hand on his coat and went to bed.
in the brightness of the wintry sun next morning as it streamed over the breakfast table he laughed at his fears there was an air of prosaic wholeness about the room which he had lacked the previous night and a dirty dishevelled little paw with pitched on the sideboard were careless wearers which betokened no great belief in his virtues i suppose all those old soldiers are the same said mrs white all the idea of our listening to such nonsense how could free wish could wishes be granted in these days if they could how could two hundred pounds hurt you father might drop on his head from the sky said the fervious herbert morris said that things happen so naturally said his father that you might if you wished to coincidence well we didn't break into money before i come back said herbert as he rose to the table i'm afraid i'll turn you to mean and ever man we shall have to disown you his mother laughed and following him to the door watched him down the road returning to the breakfast table was very happy to dispense of her far husband's credibility for which did not prevent her from scurrying to the door as the postman knocked not to prevent her from referring somewhat shortly to retired sergeant majors of bobious habits when she found the post brought the tailor's bill herbert will you come we'll we'll have some more of this these funny remarks i expect when he comes home she said as they sat at some dinner i dare say said mrs white said mrs white pouring herself out some beer but for all that the might thing move in my hand i swear to you thought it did said the old lady smoothly i say it did replied the other there was no thought about it i had just what's the matter your wife made no reply she's watching the stiff movements of a man outside who peering from the sided fashion of the house appeared trying to make up his mind to enter in mental connection with the two hundred pounds she noticed the stranger was well dressed and wore a silk hat of glossy newness three times he paused at her gate then walked on again the fourth time he stood with his hand upon it and then suddenly resolution flung it open and walked up the path mr white at the moment place mrs white at that moment placed her hands behind her and hurriedly and hastily the strings are open but that use put the useful article of apparel beneath the cushion of her chair she brought the stranger who seemed all at ease to into the room he gazed at her fervently and listened to a preposterous fashion as the old lady apologized for the appearance of the room a husband's coat a garment which is usually reserved for the garden she had waited as patiently as as her sex would permit for him to broach his business but he was a very first silently strange silent strangely silent i was called asked to call he said at last and stopped and picked a piece of cotton from his trousers i came from mool and miggins the old lady startled is this something the matter she asked breathlessly has something happened to herbert what is it what is it a husband in the boat there there mother he said hastily sit down and don't jump to conclusions you not brought bad news i i am sure sir he began with a he eyed the other wistfully i'm sorry began the visitor is he hurt demanded the mother wildly the visitor bowed in absence 
badly hurt, he said quietly, but he's not in pain. Oh, thank God, said the old woman, clasping her hands. Thank God, that thank. She broke off suddenly as the says a meaning of assurance dawned upon her. She saw the thoughtful confirmation of her tears, the other's perverted face. She caught her breath, and turning to her slow, witted husband, said, laid a trembling hand, old hand upon his. There was a long silence. He was caught in machinery, said the visitor at night, in a low voice. Caught in the machinery? repeated Mr. Repeated Mr. White in a dazed fashion. Yes. He sat blankly out the window, taking his wife's hand between his own, pressed as it had been, wouldn't have been there. Old quarter days, nearly forty years before. He was only one left to us, he said, turning gently to the visitor. It is hard. The other coughed and rising, walked slowly to the window. The firm wished me to convey a serious sympathy with you in your great loss, he said without looking round. I beg that you will understand. I am only their servant, merely obeying orders. There was no reply. The old woman's face was white, so her eyes staring and her breath inaudible. On her husband's face was a look such of his friend the sergeant might have carried into his first action. I was to say that Moore and Moggins did slightly. All responsibility continued, continued the other. They omit no liability at all. But in consideration of son services, he wished to prevent you with a certain sum of compensation. Mr. White dropped his, dropped his wife's hand and raised into his feet, gazed with a hollow of horror as its visitor. His dry lips shaped the words. How much? Two hundred pounds was the answer. Unconscious of his wife's shriek, the old man failed faintly, but put his hands like a sightless man put out his hands like a sightless man and dropped a senseless heap to the floor. In a huge new cemetery two miles distant, the old people buried their dead and came back to a house steeped in shadow and silence. It was all over so quickly a first they could hardly realise it and remain in a state of expectation though there was something else to happen something else which was to lighten this load too heavy for old hearts to bear the days passed in expectation gave place to resignation the hapless resignation of the old sometimes miscalled of apathy sometimes they hardly exchange a word for now they're talking about to talk about and their days were long to weariness. In about a week after that, the old man, walking suddenly, waking suddenly in the night, stretched out his hand and found himself alone. His room, the room was in darkness, and a sound of subdued weeping came from the window. He raised himself in bed and listened. Come back, he said tenderly. You will be cold. It's colder for my son, said the old woman, and wept afresh. The sound of her sobs died away on his ears. The room bed was warm, and his eyes heavy with sleep. He dozed fitfully, and then slept until a sudden wild cry for his wife awoke him with a start. A paw, she cried wildly. A monkey's paw. He startled up an arm. Where, where? 
Where is it? What's the matter? She came stumbling across them but towards him. She said quietly, You did you not destroyed it? Is it the parlour on the bracket? He replied, marvelling. Why? She cried and laughed together, and bending over, kissed his cheek. I just thought of it, she said hysterically. Why did I think of it before? Why didn't you think of it? Think of what? he questioned. The other two witches, he replied rapidly. She replied rapidly. We only had one. That was not was that not enough? he demanded fiercely. No, she cried triumphantly. We have one more. Go down and get it quickly. I wish our boy alive again. The boy man sat up in bed and flung the bedclothes from his quaking limbs. Good God, you're mad, he cried aghast. Get it, she panted. Get it quickly and wish. Oh, my boy, oh, my boy. A husband struck a match and lit the candle. Get back to bed, he said unsteadily. You don't know what you are saying. We had the first wish granted, said the old woman feverishly. Why not the second? A coincidence, stammered the old man. Go and get an, it a wish, cried his wife, quivering with excitement. The old man turned and regarded her, and his voice shook. It was been ten days. Besides, he would not tell you else, but I could not only recognize him by his clothing. If he was too terrible for you to see then, how now? Bring him back, cried the old woman, and dragged him towards the door. Do you think I feared a child I have nursed? He went down into the darkness and felt his way to the parlour and then to the mantelpiece. The talisman was in his place. A horrible fear that the unspoken wish might bring his mutilated son before him. Ah, here. He could escape from the room seized upon him. He caught his breath as he found he had lost the direction of the door. His brow cold with sweat. He sweat felt his way around the table and groped along the wall until he found himself in a small passage with an unwholesome thing in his hand. Even his wife's face seemed changed as he entered the room. It was white and unexpected to his fears seemed to have an unnatural look upon it. He was afraid of her. Wish, he cried in a strong voice. It is foolish and wicked, he faltered. Wish, he repeated his wife. He raised his hands. I wish my son alive again. Sediment fell off the floor. He grunted it fully, fearfully. Then he sank trembling to a chair as the old woman, burning eyes, walked to the window and raised the blind. He sat until he was chilled with the cold, glancing occasionally at the figure of the old woman peering through the window, the candle end, which had burned below the rim of the china's candlestick, was throwing pulsating shadows on the ceiling and walls until the large of a flicker larger than less it inspired the old man with unspeakable sense of relief a failure of the talisman crept back to his bed and a minute or two late afterward the old woman came silently and apparently beside him neither spoke but lay silently listening to a ticking of the clock a stare creaked and squeaky mouse scurried noisily through the wall. A darkness is oppressive, and after lying for some time, screwing up his courage, he took the box of matches and, striking one, went downstairs for a candle. At the foot of the stairs, the march went, match went out. He paused to strike another. At the same moment, a knock, so quiet, so stealthy, to be scarcely audible, sounded on the front door. The march 
fist fell from his hand and it spilled in the passage. He stood motionless, his breath suspended till knock was repeated. Then he turned and fled swiftly back to his room and closed the door behind him. A third knock sounded through the door house. What's that? cried the old woman, starting up. Startling up. A rat, said the old man in shaking tones. A rat, it passed me on the stairs. His wife sat up in bed listening. A loud knock resounded through the house. It's Herbert, she screamed. It's Herbert. She ran to the door, but her husband was before her, catching her by the arm, held her tightly. What are you going to do? he whispered obviously. It is my son. It's my boy. It's Herbert, she cried, suggesting, struggling mechanically. I forgot it was two miles away. What are you holding me for? Let go, I must open the door. For God's sake, don't let it in, cried the old man, trembling. You're afraid of your own son, she cried, struggling. Let me go, I'm coming, Herbert, I'm coming. There was another knock, and another. The old woman, with a sudden wrench, broke free and ran from the room. Her husband followed to the landing, and called after her, appealing as she hurried to walk downstairs, he heard the chains rattle back and forth, bolt down, down, drawn slowly and stiffly from the sockets. Then the old man's voice strained and panting. A bolt, she cried loudly, come out, back, down, I can't reach it. Her husband was on, uh, on hands and knees, groping wildly on the floor, in search of the poor. He couldn't only find it before the thing outside got in. A perfect festival of knocks reverberated through the house, and he heard the scraping of a chair as his wife put it down in the passage. Against the door, he heard the creaking of the bolt. It came slowly back. At the same moment, he found the monkey paw, and frankly breathed his third and last witch. The knocking ceased suddenly. Through low the echoes of it was still in the house. He heard the change or Chair pulled back. A door opened. A cold wind rushed up the staircase. A long, narrow wail of disappointment. A missy from his wife gave him courage. Run down to her side and in to the gate below. The street lamp flickering opposite shone on a quiet, deserted road. <laughs>